me to the first chapter of the book of Romans. We're going to continue our march through this letter from the Apostle Paul as we look at uh, the theme before us today of a gospel get-together. Uh, it is the holiday season already coming upon us. We made mention of that earlier, that Thanksgiving is just but uh, a few weeks away, and right after that, of course, is Christmas, and it's that time of year when we're going to be getting together uh, with family and sometimes co-workers, and for some of us, that's a good thing. We like to be with our families, and we don't mind getting together with our co-workers either, but sometimes it's not such a good thing. Different family dynamics, uh, different uh, interactions that we have with people we work with sometimes makes these get-togethers not so pleasant. But if you think about uh, our church, we are a church family. And we gather not just for holidays, we gather every week and sometimes multiple times a week. And for most of us, that's a good thing. And sometimes because of interactions with others, maybe it's not such a good thing. But we're not just a church family, we are also co-workers. We are co-laborers in the gospel. And we gather. And when we gather, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? But I want you to stop and think, you know, why? Why do we get together? What is the point of what we do when we come together as Christians? Paul here is writing a letter to the church at Rome. And remember, it's a church that he did not establish. It's a church that he personally had never been to before. But he is writing them this letter. And in this letter he says, I hope to come to you soon. I hope that we can have a gospel get-together soon. And so what is the point of that? And what is the point for doing what we do? I believe that we should glorify God by cooperating with his people to advance his kingdom on earth. Of all the reasons and all the benefits and blessings that we have by getting together with our church family and other Christians, the bottom line is that we should glorify God by cooperating with his people to advance his kingdom here on earth. Let me invite you to stand if you're able at this time. We'll read together Romans chapter 1. I'll be starting at verse 8. These words written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Would you join me in prayer? 
Father, we pause at this time as we uh, enter into the reading and study of your word. We acknowledge, God, this is your word. That through the Spirit you breathed out these words through the Apostle Paul. These words that bring not only information but transformation. As your word bears your authority, as your word carries your power, you change hearts and you change lives and you change eternal destinies through this word. So God, as we come together today, we do not come lightly, but we come with reverence. And God, we come with expectation today that you're going to speak to us and you're going to do something in our hearts and something in our lives and you're going to do something in our church and something in our community and something in the world because we have come together today as your people to advance your kingdom on earth. And we do that first of all, God, by getting into your word and letting your word get into us. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would have your way as we look to this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Typically in Paul's letters, he begins with a greeting followed by a thanksgiving and then a prayer. And we see just that in the book of Romans as Paul has introduced himself and has spoken about uh, his desire to come to be with this church. He is thanking God for all that is happening there and and he is praying that God would permit him to come and to join them. His ambition was to visit that church in Rome so that he might advance the gospel. As much as Paul enjoyed being with God's people, the, the ultimate motive for Paul was to glorify God. And he saw this as an opportunity. God, if you would just but bring me to Rome, I know that, Lord, your gospel would spread. And so as we look at Paul's desire to be with that church, I think we see some valuable lessons for us as it comes to getting together for the advancement of the gospel. And the first thing is we should pray with gospel purpose. We should pray with gospel purpose, seeking God's direction for ourselves and for our church as it pertains to advancing God's kingdom. We need to pray with gospel purpose. First of all, Paul offers intercession for this church. In verse 8, it's complimentary. It's complimentary intercession. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Through Jesus Christ, Paul is speaking about his authority as an apostle, and everything he does is through the authority of Jesus. And he says, I am, as an apostle, thanking God for you, for you all. Remember, this was a church that was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles alike. They have come together into one body of Christ, the church. And Paul is thanking God for them. He says, because of your faith. These are individuals who have heard about Jesus Christ and about what He has done. And they have heard the reality that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus died as their Savior and that He rose again triumphantly. And they have heard this good news and they have come to put their faith in it. And Paul says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world, throughout the, the whole Mediterranean area at that time. The Roman church was the talk of the town, so to speak. 
Paul said, everywhere I go, people are talking about those Christians in Rome. Did you hear about what God is doing in, in Rome, in, in the capital of the empire, that God has established a church and God is doing great things with that church? Have you heard about that? And here Paul is giving thanks and he's complimenting what is happening there. But notice Paul doesn't say, I thank you because you're doing this, people. He says, I thank my God for this. As much as Paul is, is grateful for their faithfulness, the bottom line is Paul is thanking God for what God is doing through that church. Remember Paul's motive, his ambition at the end of verse 5, for his name's sake. Everything that Paul is doing in his ministry is for the glory of God. And everything that Paul is writing in Romans is for the glory of God. And Paul says, I thank my God that he has gripped your heart so much that what you are doing is being broadcast all over the known world. Wow, to have such a reputation as that Roman church that everybody would be talking about what God is doing here at Ephesus. So Paul is offering complimentary intercession to God for what God is doing in that church, but also it's constant intercession. In verse 9, Paul says, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son. Again, Paul here is making reference to his apostolic ministry that God has called him to be a leader of the church and Paul says in that position I am offering unceasing prayers for you he says God is my witness how unceasingly I make mention of you so for Paul it's not just enough that God is doing great things in that church he's thankful for that but he doesn't say well they're doing good stuff there. I don't have to worry about praying for them anymore. I'll pray for this church over here that's, that's struggling. No, for Paul, it was, I constantly pray for you, unceasingly pray for you because God's doing great things. I want God to continue to do great things to you. In fact, I pray that God would do even bigger and better things through your church and so he is constantly interceding how unceasingly I pray for you for Paul it wasn't just well we prayed you into some good stuff and so now we'll just stop and go elsewhere no it's constant he's grateful yet he's praying for continued success it's also cooperative intercession verse 10 Paul says always in my prayers making requests if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you so Paul is saying Lord willing he's been wanting to get there for some time now and he says I just haven't been able to do it but, but Lord willing and the creek don't rise I'll get there now if Paul had been in our area for the last several months that rising creek might have been an issue and that might have been what prevented him from going but he's praying that God by his will would allow him to come to them. He wants to be together with them. He wants to cooperate with them. Paul desired to meet his fellow brethren in Christ. He, he had never laid eyes on those folks. 
He'd never had any kind of face-to-face dialogue with them, but to him, they were brothers and sisters in the Lord. For him, it didn't matter if there was no prior relationship. Because there was a relationship with Jesus, they were family. And Paul wanted to be together with them. You know, there's something about being in Jesus whenever we're around his people, we're at home. Doesn't matter if it's our home church or, or we travel out of town on vacation or a business meeting, whatever it is, and, and we go to church, we're amongst brothers and sisters because there's just something there that connects us on the deepest of all levels. Doesn't matter our backgrounds, it doesn't even matter our, our language. If we love the Lord, we are brothers and sisters with other Christians, even in other parts of the world and Paul is cooperating with them and he is praying together with them for the advancement of God's kingdom which brings me to a point how do we respond when we hear of other churches being successful how how do we react when we hear for example that God is really doing a a wonderful work at such and such church even in our own community or put it like how do you you feel whenever sometimes our attendance is down but yet you hear that another church wow they're just they're, they're bulging at the seams and perhaps it's pastors and ministers that struggle more with this but sometimes we have a sense of jealousy Sometimes we have a a sense of of why is good things happening over there but not here? Why is God blessing them with growth but not us? And If we are not careful, we begin to look at church as competition and not cooperation. You know, folks, we're on the same team. What God is doing at one church, we ought to be grateful for. We ought to praise Him. We ought to celebrate what God is doing in another fellowship. We celebrate what He's doing here, don't get me wrong, and we want to see this church grow. We want to see ministry taking place and souls saved and baptized and discipled. We rejoice in that, but we also ought to rejoice when we see and hear it happening in other places. I've heard stories of churches being planted in communities and established existing churches grumbling about it and not being happy that this church is coming in on our territory. They're on our turf and they're taking our people. Instead, we ought to be praising God. And we ought to pray in such a way with gospel purpose. We ought to pray that God expands His kingdom through our church. We also ought to be praying that God would expand His kingdom through every other church in our community, state, nation, and world. Pray with gospel purpose. Pray that God would bring hearts together so that we could serve together. Which brings us to our next point. Partner with gospel purpose laboring together with other believers in our church family, laboring together with other churches so that God's kingdom would grow here on earth. Partner with gospel purpose. In order to do that, you need to have, first of all, a selfless ministry like Paul. Selfless. 
verse 11, Paul says, For I long to see you so that... That's a purpose clause. Paul's purpose for longing to see them and be with them, Paul says, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Paul wants to go there to serve them, folks. Paul wants to be there to see what God is doing, and Paul wants to get his hands dirty and minister and serve there. Paul, I want to get there not to be a spectator. I want to get to y'all so I can help serve, so that I can bless you and impart to you a spiritual gift that you may be established. They're already there as a church. It's not that Paul is saying, you're not a church till I get there. Paul already acknowledged that they are a church. Paul is saying there is something about him going there and serving that would make that church an even better church. Not that Paul himself was that great, but he had an apostolic ministry to go there and impart his gift so that he could help that church be even stronger, to be established and strengthened so that he could put his, his seal of approval, his stamp, and give it his thumbs up as an apostle of Jesus Christ, that you are doing what God's calling you to do, and I'm going to elevate that. I'm going to help you by my service to be an even better church than you are now. Wow, what an attitude. What a selfless attitude to think that my church is a wonderful church, but if I come and I serve and I get involved and I do stuff, my wonderful church would be an even better church because of my selfless ministry. And it may be that nobody else even sees what I'm doing, but God sees it. Just like the song that Heath sang a while ago, on earth it may not be noticed, but in heaven our reward is great because God sees our selfless ministry to his church it's also a shared ministry in verse 12 Paul understands that that church life isn't just about what I do verse 12 he says that is that I may be encouraged together with you Paul says it's not only that I want to come and establish you but I want to come so that you may encourage me I want to come so you can bless me too. He says, to be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul understands that when we work together and when we share the ministry, bigger things and better things and greater things take place. He understands it's mutual ministry. And Paul knows as we ought to know that church is not only about serving it's about being served that's a very humbling thing sometimes our pride gets in the way of that we would like to think that I'm making a difference and, and I am, I'm helping somebody else but there are times when you and I need to be lifted up there are times when others need to wash our feet and we act like Peter and we say, no, no, no. You know, not going to wash my feet, you know. I serve you. You don't serve me. And the reality is that church is a place where sometimes we serve and sometimes we get served. It's mutual. It's shared. 
Paul understands that. He says, I want to go there so that you and I can be encouraged by the other's faith. And by the way, there are a few things as encouraging in this life than seeing other people have a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ. There's just something about being around strong, mature, vibrant, faith-filled Christians that encourages my heart. To know that my brothers and sisters, they face struggles. They go through trials and temptations. But when I come and gather with you all and I see you all faithfully serving and praising Jesus, blesses my heart. And so that's why it's so crucial that we gather when we have these opportunities because it is a shared ministry. We are here to lift each other up through our service in Jesus' name. It's also a strategic ministry. When we partner together, it's strategic. Paul says in verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you and have been prevented so far. What has hindered Paul from getting there? He doesn't elaborate on that. We can only speculate, but he has wanted to get to Rome for some time now. And he's praying that God would bring him there so that, again, here's our purpose clause, he wants to get there so that I may obtain some fruit among you. He's not talking about apples and oranges. He's not saying, wow, there's some good fruit up there in Rome. I can't wait to get up there and get my hands on some of that tasty fruit. He's talking about winning souls for Jesus, gospel fruit. He's talking about planting the seeds and sowing the seeds and watering the seeds and then harvesting the fruit as a sacrifice to God. He's saying, I want to get up there to Rome so that souls can get saved. That's strategic. He wants to go up there, not only just hang out in Rome, y'all some swell Romans. Paul wants to get up there so that people can come to Jesus. It's partnering together in ministry strategically so that the intended purpose to reach lost people is strategic when we do what we do, when we gather together and when we serve together in our church and with other churches and other Christians, it's strategic. We're wanting to advance the gospel. And Paul says, I pray that so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul says, where I've been going, the gospel has been working. And I can't wait to get to Rome and see it working there too. Partnering together with gospel purpose. You know, that's one of the hallmark beliefs of Southern Baptists. And that came to fruition in 1925. Something was created called the Cooperative Program. You see the word cooperate in that. And the, and the premise is this. It's, it, it makes sense. We can do more working together than we can on our own. We can accomplish more for the kingdom of God when we cooperate together. We are stronger. There is strength in numbers. And so what we do is not only do we pray for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth and we pray that God would use other churches to do that as well as our own, we also partner. And we do that when we put money in the offering plate. And a percentage of that goes to our state convention for ministry on the state level. 
and then 50% of what's at the state level gets sent to the national level to do ministry here in the United States and abroad. We cooperate with other like-minded Southern Baptist churches financially when we give to our own church. And to me, I think that is, I think that's so awesome to know that we are partnering together not only in our church to see God's kingdom grow, but we are partnering together with other churches to see God's kingdom and the great commission achieved here on earth. So we pray with gospel purpose. We partner with gospel purpose. And finally, we ought to preach with gospel purpose. And you might say, well, you're the preacher, not me, so you need to do this. No, Paul says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Literally it means I'm eager to share the good news. Isn't that something we're all supposed to do? We're all supposed to be sharing the good news. And so this point is for all of us. And there is no better news than the saving message of Jesus Christ. There is no better news than to understand that you're a sinner lost and dying and going to hell, but by God's grace you've been rescued from that and been placed in a greater position. A position of blessing, grace, favor. So we are to preach with gospel purpose. Why do we do that? Two reasons. First of all, to evangelize sinners. And that's the obvious reason, right? We preach so that lost people can get saved. We tell people about Christ so they won't go to hell. They can have eternal life, not only in heaven, but they can have eternal life now. Christ-filled life right now. We preach to evangelize sinners. Paul talks about that in verse 14. In, In describing his ministry to the Gentiles, he talks about the end of verse 13. He says, I am under obligation... Paul, why do you do this? Why do you, why do you share the gospel with people who aren't even Jewish? Why do, you, why do you go outside the covenant community of God and, and, and share the good news of Jesus with people who are Gentiles? Why do you do that, Paul? He says, I'm under obligation. I have no other choice. Literally that Paul is... He's called to do this. God put a, put a call on his life whenever, whenever God saved him. Acts chapter 9. We read about his calling and God speaks to Ananias about Paul in verse 15 of Acts 9. He says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. God put a calling on Paul. When, when, when God saved Paul, He gave him a task. He gave him a mission. When God saved you, He gave you a task. He gave you a mission. And He is equipping you to go and tell other people about Jesus. And Paul says, I am under obligation to do this. And he mentions several different individuals and groups that he is, he is called to reach. And he says, I need to do this across international barriers. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. Literally to, to those who, who speak the Greek language and those who have the Greek culture. Those who 
are civilized according to our world standards. Paul says, I'm called to reach them, the Greeks and the barbarians, those who don't speak the Greek language, those who do not have the Greek culture that was dominant around the Mediterranean at that time, those who are not civilized. Paul says it doesn't matter. They need Jesus too. I'm under obligation. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, Paul says elsewhere. I'm under obligation to cross international barriers to reach them folks with the gospel. But not only international barriers, he's called to do this across intellectual barriers. Paul says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, those who are learned, those who are philosophers, those who have studied and those who are intelligent by our educational standards, and even those who are not. In other words, Paul is saying, just like I saw on a t-shirt recently, y'all need Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're Greek or you're barbarian, it doesn't matter if you're wise or you're foolish, y'all need Jesus. Everybody needs the Lord. Everybody is lost and dying in their sin. And Paul gets into describing that as we see Romans unfold here in the next few weeks. The universal sin problem. Y'all need Jesus. They need Jesus too. And Paul says we preach the gospel to reach them folks because they're lost and they need Jesus. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter how much they've been educated, they need to be saved. And the gospel can do that. So we preach to evangelize sinners, but also to encourage the saints. Because he goes on to say in verse 15, So for my part, I am eager. He's just chomping at the bit. He's just ready to do this. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Remember, Paul's writing to Christians. So Paul says, I want to preach the gospel to you. You're already saved. But I want to preach the gospel to you. And so we might say, well, Paul's an apostle. He wants to make sure they have understood the true gospel. You know, in a sense, that might be true. But I think Paul is emphasizing something else here too. Christians need to be reminded of the glories of the gospel. We need to be reminded often of the unbelieving love of God, the unbelievable love of God, the, the grace and the, and the blessing of God to take someone like me and make me his child only because he loves me, not because I deserve it at all. What a, what a wonderful thing it is for Christians to be reminded we need the good news too. It's like the old hymn says, I love to, to tell the story to those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. It means when we get together and we worship God, the gospel is preached and we might say, well, why do you do that? When you look around the room and you see that, it, that most, of, if not everybody here, are already Christians, why do you share the gospel? It's because we need to be reminded often. 
It's because you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare and Satan wants to try to tell you how often he can that you are unworthy, that you are unlovable, that somehow you are beyond the the, the grip and, and the reach of God, that somehow you've just sinned way too much and God could not ever love someone like you. Satan wants to tell you that. He wants to remind you how much you've sinned, how much you've screwed up, how much you have turned your back on God. He wants to accuse you before the throne of God, but the gospel reminds you, and it reminds me that none of that is true, that God is true, and His gospel is true, and God loves you, and His Son died for you, and His Spirit has been poured out on you, and you've been sealed, and you belong to Him. You've been bought with a price. The gospel reminds you of that. The gospel is what we need to hear time and time and time again. Don't ever grow tired of hearing the gospel. If you do, I'm, I would apologize, but I'm not going to apologize because I'm going to give you the gospel anyways. You're going to get it every week and every chance I get, you're going to get the gospel because I need it. And, and, and when I preach it, it reminds me how much I need it. It's a glorious reminder that God's grace is a saving and a sustaining grace. And it equips us and it encourages us and it strengthens us and establishes us as we seek to live for the Lord and reach others. So we glorify God by cooperating with His people, His people to advance His kingdom on earth. So I think about our church and think about fellowship. We are a very fellowship-heavy, a fellowship-centric church. we got a lot of opportunities to fellowship. And when we think fellowship, first thing we think of is food. You know, we got a lot of that. Every Wednesday night we eat. And then once a month we'll even pick a restaurant and we'll go eat there. And then we'll gather in people's homes. They have cottage prayer meetings. And lo and behold, we're eating there too. See, every time we get together, we use that as an excuse to eat, you know, and, and I'm all about that. That's, that's cool. You know, but all these opportunities do we get together, you ever stop and think, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we getting together? Why are we coming on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and, and all these activities we're doing every month? Our calendar stays full. Why, why do we do that? What is, what is your motive for gathering and I want to challenge you this morning. Think about it. Is it solely a selfish motive? Is it just because, man, I really like them folks. You know, they're, they're, they're my friends. They're my family. I, I just like being around them. It doesn't matter what we're talking about or what's going on. Just as long as we're together, and, you know, we can talk about how Kentucky football is finally starting to, to win and, we can talk about how, man, I can't believe the weather has changed and it's gotten so windy. and We, we can just talk about whatever. It doesn't matter. We don't even have to talk about Jesus. I just want to be with these people. You know, and that's, that's a good thing. But is your motive for fellowship, is it purely selfish? Is it just a social gathering? When you come together on Sundays, is it just to see and to be seen and to know what's going on and, or are we gathering for spiritual purposes? And these two things can interact, intersect. Don't hear me wrong. 
But I want us to think about this from Paul's perspective in this. Paul's entire motive for wanting to be there is for people to get saved and Christians to be strengthened. That ought to be our primary motive. When we gather and we eat, it ought to be with that in the back of our minds as we're enjoying you know, this, this wonderful homemade pie that's been so lovingly prepared right in front of us. We ought to always be thinking about, you know, we're here because we're a church and we exist to glorify God by spreading His gospel. There ought to be something about every time we gather that reminds us that this is a spiritual matter. And we can be blessed and we can, we can feel good and we can enjoy friendship. Nothing wrong with that. Please hear me in that. But it ought to be something else mixed in with that too. Something even more important as cooperating and fellowshipping and enjoying a common bond that is the faith in Jesus Christ and to fulfill His mission given to us here on earth. Our church is our church family. Our church is also our co-laborers. We're here to labor together, to live life together and live out the faith together. We are here to work and serve and to reach the lost together. Which our final point is this. Fellowship fortifies the faith. When we get together, we are better equipped. We are strengthened in our faith and what we believe, and we're better equipped to go outside the walls of this church and share the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the mission that we have. We exist to glorify God by letting people know the truth of the gospel. As we get together, let's get together for the purpose of the gospel. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we again come before you grateful, God, for who you are.